The following recordings were edited together in order to present a more full picture of how Heavy Metal 101 came to an end forever. Hello, and welcome to the second annual Heavy Metal 101 Halloween Spooktacular! So, um, welcome, welcome to the very first uh, Heavy Metal 101 episode recorded on location. I'm, 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 I'm in, a, in a graveyard. It's a dark and stormy night. It's, I, think it's, I think it's the end of the world. In honor of this most special time of the year, it's time once more for us to tear down the veil and stare directly into the darkest, most dangerous corners of the heavy metal cosmos. For today's terrible treat, we will be investigating three masterpieces of unrelenting darkness and macabre, albums so bleak, so evil, so heavy, that the chances of emerging from this episode with any semblance of your very soul still intact is vanishingly small, just as it should be. Uh, alas, John is indisposed today, and, and so you'll be left with just me, Eric the Dead. As your sole tour guide through this devastating wasteland of musical monstrosities. But don't worry. Just be sure to keep your hands and feet in the car at all times. Mask up, and always remember, it's only music. <laughs> it's a cold and frightening night, and I think that before we can truly begin today's fundamental mission of exploring three of the truly haunting hallmarks of early extreme metal, we need a song of welcome to soothe our fears and to warm our quavering flesh. None of the horrors to come would even be possible were it not for the great fetid father figures of extreme metal, the fearsome and ferocious Venom. And so it is only appropriate that they kick us off and welcome us to hell. And so we prepare for our descent into darkest madness with a bit of help from the title track from Venom's majestic satanic debut album, 1981's Welcome to Hell. So mote it be! If you're listening to this recording on a platform other than Spotify, you must now pause the podcast and you will find a link for the song in the notes. Ah, yes. I know I feel better. Well, maybe not better, but perhaps just a tiny bit more prepared for what is to come.
Now, we can truly begin our explorations into the deepest, darkest regions of musical hell. As we commence our revolting reflections upon three of the founding oral documents of extreme metal, the first shadows to cross our musical paths are three suspiciously demonic-looking figures going by the names Satanic Slaughter, a.k.a. Thomas Gabriel Fisher, a.k.a. Tom G. Warrior, Slade Necros, a.k.a. Martin Eric Ain, and Denial Fiend, a.k.a. Bruce Day, a.k.a. Jorg Newbart. These fine, if somewhat terrifying, Swiss gentlemen are members of the mighty, fearsome, early proto-black metal band Hellhammer. Hellhammer originally formed in Nurensdorf, Switzerland in 1982, were active for just two all-too-brief years before dissolving and reforming, more powerful than ever, as one of the greatest and most respected extreme metal bands of all time, Celtic Frost. All of the bands that we discuss today have a similar lineage, inspired by the darkness and doom of Black Sabbath, the velocity and punk intensity of Motorhead, and most particularly by the marriage of those elements and delightfully satanic themes of Venom, the true fathers of all extreme metal. Hellhammer was additionally inspired by the chaotic energy of extreme punk bands, including particularly Discharge and GBH. In the year 1983, Hellhammer recorded three demos. Death Fiend, which was originally unreleased. Triumph of Death, which was released in July of that year. And Satanic Rites, which was released in December. I have a freakish fun fact. Anyone want to hear a freakish fun fact? Lovely. Included along with the Triumph of Death demo was an annotation from the band stating, quote, Venom are killing music. Hellhammer are killing Venom. You gotta love the audacity. All told, Hellhammer released just one official commercially released EP, the now legendary Apocalyptic Raids, which was recorded in Berlin in February of 1984 and released by the German label Noise Records on March 8th. Just 19 minutes long, this album was well ahead of its time, baffling critics and inspiring, among others, legions of future corpse-painted Scandinavians who would begin burning down churches and gleefully murdering each other and making a black metal uniquely their own just a few short years later. There are only four songs on the original release of Apocalyptic Raids. The first three, The Third of the Storms, Evoked Damnation, Massacre, and Triumph of Death are all credited to Tom Warrior. The final track, Horus Slash Aggressor, is credited to both Warrior and American-born bassist Martin Eric Ain. Rest in peace. It was the two of them who would go on to raise Celtic Frost from the ashes of Hellhammer shortly thereafter. Tracks 1, 2, and 4 are vicious, evil, punk-influenced songs that bear at least some familial resemblance to what thrash bands like Metallica and Slayer were up to in America at around that same time, though Hellhammer do have a considerably rawer, more low-fidelity sound than those bands, and that's something that later black metal bands would particularly latch onto. 
However, to my mind, it is the deliriously unhinged nine-and-a-half-minute epic Triumph of Death that truly established Hellhammer as revelatory masters of the musical macabre. It isn't a song so much as an immersive theatrical experience, an all-access tour of hell. Before we listen, I offer a ritualistic recitation of the lyrics to set the mood. If you have black candles... I suggest lighting them now. When you have been down in your grave, alive, your mind decays and you're the coffin slave. And when at midnight an uncanny bell tolls, terrible noises, the dark graveyard calls. Limbs break through the dirt, decay stinks like hell, dark creatures in the fog, crusted blood on the dead. Triumph of death. Triumph of death. Euronymous sends his souls, buried by horrible mistakes. Let me out! You feel you're eaten by worms, and the night's alive again. When you have been down in your grave, alive, alive, alive! Your mind decays, and you're my coffin slave. And when at midnight an uncanny bell tolls, terrible noises, the dark graveyard calls you, 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 you. And now, straight from the pit, for your listening displeasure, Hellhammer's Triumph of Death. In order to hear this wonderful song, you must pause the podcast and hit the link in the show notes. Okay? John! There you are! What do you think of that? John? John? Ooh. It would seem that John is still unavailable. Too bad. I'm sure he would have loved that song. Anyhow, how delectably demonic was that? This idea of a vocal performance sounding more than a bit like someone being gruesomely tortured to death proved a powerful influence on that next generation of black metal bands and also confused the ever-loving hell out of contemporary critics. According to the magazine Rock Power, Apocalyptic Raids was, quote, the most terrible, aberrant, and atrocious thing musicians were ever allowed to record. Hmm. I think that this level of critical vitriol should be worn as a badge of honor, but it was apparently one of the factors that led to the disbanding of Hellhammer and the formation of the Great Celtic Frost. And even then, in 1985, a magazine as significant to heavy metal as Kerrang! said, quote, the truly execrable Hellhammer may now have turned into Celtic Frost, but still suck on the big one. Hey, Kerrang, why don't you stick your cynical snark where the sun don't shine, hmm? Black Metal Masters Mayhem, whose founding member, Euronymous, took his name from the very song that we have been discussing, and whose drummer, Hellhammer, took his own nom de plume even more directly from this band, were wildly influenced by Hellhammer's work. As was the formative grindcore band, Napalm Death, and the thrash-slash-death-metal masters from Brazil, Sepultura. 
Although they weren't around terribly long, the impact of Hellhammer on the history of evil, heavy music could not possibly be overstated. All hail Tom G. Warrior and his fiendishly fantastic ensemble of Beastmen. Music has never quite been the same since Hellhammer walked the earth. Things are getting a, a bit rough here. I suppose my decision to make this recording on top of an unhallowed grave at midnight on Friday the 13th on what appears to clearly be the eve of the apocalypse might have been a bad idea. Oh well. Anyhow, let's see if we can't survive this ordeal long enough to present just two more formative samples of extreme metal nastiness conceived in the year of our Lord, Satan, 1984. We've met the immortal Tom G. Warrior and Hellhammer. Now it's time to look further north to a frigid dark land from whence would come some of the most frigid dark music of all time. I take you now to Vallingby, Sweden, birthplace of quite possibly the first true black metal band. Bathory! That, that's Bathory to you and me. Bathory first arose from the frosty mire in what I can only imagine was an incredibly damp, chilly Swedish march in 1983. The central figure was a 17-year-old singer and guitarist who at that time was known to his friends as Ace Shoot, but who had been born Thomas Forsberg on February 17, 1966. Those of us in the know will be more familiar with his stage name, Corthon. Corthon was always the central figure, and quite often the sole figure, in Bathory, and is one of the most beloved, influential icons of extreme metal. Alas, this heavy metal hero passed away on June 3rd, 2004, at the age of only 38, due to a congenital heart defect. And I hereby dedicate this episode to the memory of Corthon. May his memory be a blessing. Although Corthon would eventually come to do basically all of Bathory's songwriting and music making, the band was originally co-formed with bassist Frederick Melander, who went by the not terribly spooky moniker Hanoi, and the drummer Jonas Ackerland, who was rather goofily known as Vans McBurger. Perhaps unsurprisingly, neither of these gentlemen were still around by the time Bathory recorded their debut album, which was recorded with a trio of Corthon on guitar and vocals, Stefan Larsson on drums, and Ricard Bergman bass. More so, perhaps, than any other single band, Bathory established a clear template for the sound and image of black metal to come. In their early work, Bathory established the conventions of raw, lo-fi recordings and harsh, shrieked vocals that would come to be closely associated with Scandinavian black metal, as well as a penchant for darkly satanic imagery and lyrics. The band was named after Elizabeth Bathory, a Hungarian noblewoman who is believed to have tortured and killed hundreds of women in the final years of the 16th century and early years of the 17th. It has long been rumored that she bathed in the blood of her victims in order to stay young. Though this is likely not true. Still, fun story, no? Bathory's first recordings were included on a 1984 compilation entitled Scandinavian Metal Attack, which was released by a label owned by Corthon's father. The Bathory tracks generated particular enthusiasm, and Corthon set out to record a full-length album. John! I have a couple of fun facts. John? 
Oh, right. John um, isn't here. Uh, right. Ah, uh, well, fun fact nonetheless. Number one. Apparently, the lineup that recorded Bathory's eponymous debut rehearsed just one time prior to the recording. So that, boys and girls, is how you get a seriously raw sound on your debut album. Rehearse just once. Pro tip. You're welcome. Number two. As if that wasn't enough to generate the grimy, raw sound for which early Bathory is known, Heavenshore Studio in Stockholm, where they recorded, was apparently a converted garage. <laughs> Nothing says pristine acoustics like a converted garage, no? Um, I'm sure if John were here, he'd agree with me. And also tell me how very much he enjoyed this episode's preparatory extreme metal playlist. John loves extreme metal. The more extreme, the better. In fact, there are few things on this earth that John loves more than raw, lo-fi, extreme, heavy metal recordings. Such a shame he couldn't be here. Anyhow, I can only assume that you want to hear what this glorious grotesquerie sounds like, don't you? Let's hear some blasphemous bathory before we go any further. Remember, if you're listening to the Spotify-only release, you'll hear the embedded music within the episode. But if you're listening elsewhere, you'll need to pause and click on the appropriate link in the show notes. Either way, I assure you that nothing will ever be quite the same after your exposure to the profane glory that is Bathory! Perhaps Corthon's lyrics were not sufficiently clear in that mix? Let's remedy that with a darkly artistic, terrifying rendering of the lyrics to Bathory's Sacrifice. I summon up the living dead and demons in the skies. I drank from chalice warm and red and watched the virgin die. Present at ungodly births in holy paradise, I spread eternal dark on earth and raped mother of Christ. Oh, mother of Christ. Come on, baby, raise your knife. Welcome, darling, to my sacrifice. Oh, sacrifice. Tie the angel to the altar. Sacrifice to Lord of Hell. Let the warm blood torrent, baby, while the moonlight sets the night on spell. I saw the lightning strike in the skies and heard your roar of pain. Oh, lift the knife and strike once more. Your blood is mixed with the rain. Come on, baby. Raise your knife. Welcome, darling, to my sacrifice. Oh, sacrifice. I summon up the living dead and demons in the skies. I drink from chalice warm and red and watch the virgin die. Present at ungodly births in holy paradise, I spread eternal dark on earth and raped mother of Christ, oh, mother of Christ. Come on, baby, raise your knife. Welcome, darling, to my sacrifice. Happy fucking Halloween indeed. Now, I'll note that we at Heavy Metal 101 do not actually endorse human sacrifice, but holy crap, do we ever love lyrics about it. It's so good. 
Hopefully, you can hear what I mean by the lo-fi production, shrilly rasped vocals, and dark themes on this record that would come to embody black metal as we'd know it just a few short years hence. Meanwhile, this was 1984. This was a band that was well ahead of their time. Bathory's entire debut album weighs in at just 26 minutes and 52 seconds. This may not be easy music on the ears, but it is certainly more than worth that minimal time investment, and I do think you'll find that this music gets better and better the more you listen. Anyhow, the debut album was, somewhat ironically, given the chilly flavor of the recording, recorded in June of 1984, but it was released on a much more seasonally congenial October 2nd of that same year. There is some amount of controversy regarding how much Venom inspired Bathory, but to me it seems quite clear that these bands were cut from the same cloth. It's just that Bathory had a somewhat more distilled and distinctly Scandinavian black metal take on the same sorts of things that Venom had been doing. While Hellhammer's more generalized extremity was open to multiple extreme metal interpretations, I really see Bathory as the true founding fathers of Scandinavian-style black metal, that style that would so dominate the extreme metal landscape in the 1990s and beyond. While their music would eventually evolve into a variety of fascinating and wonderful directions, including the eventual founding of the Viking metal subgenre, and yes, Quorthon was a central figure in the founding of two important heavy metal subgenres. On their earliest albums, Bathory were clearly establishing the template for what would become arguably the most important extreme metal subgenre of the following decade. It's getting late. Uh, once the sun rises and the rooster crows, I'm afraid we're going to all burn up in a fiery blaze and the world's going to come to an end. We've got so little time, but, but maybe there's just enough for one last extreme metal band. Um, this is a band who, in 1984, they were at the very beginning of one of the most important careers in the history of heavy metal. So, so who could it be? Before our time is at an end, I must speak to you of the origins of death. The band that would soon be known as Death were originally founded by the great Chuck Schuldiner under the moniker Mantis in Altamont Springs, Florida in 1984. That first lineup consisted of Chuck playing guitar and bass, Rick Roz playing guitar, and Cam Lee on drums and vocals. I must note here that once more the fearsome presence of Venom looms large. Mantis was the nickname of Venom's original guitarist, Jeffrey Mantis Dunn. Hopefully we can see clearly at this point how the path of extreme motherfucking evil began with the velocity and gruffness of Motorhead and was then amped up considerably by the ferocity of Venom, who also brought along the macabre satanic imagery. Yay! From this terrifically toxic foundation came extreme metal generally, as found in Hellhammer and later Celtic Frost, black metal, as found in Bathory, and death metal, as found in Mantis slash death. It's it's too bad we're all going to die a slow and horrifying death at the end of this, because I think it's some valuable knowledge we've acquired. Shut up, John! Uh, Anywho. 
Mantis recorded three rehearsal tapes and five live tapes, all in 1984, and all before putting together their first proper demo, the now legendary Death by Metal. The original version was just five tracks and weighed in at a bit under 15 minutes in total duration. Included therein was a raw version of the song Evil Dead, based on the fabulous horror movie of the same name, which would also eventually be on Death's magnificent debut album, 1987's Scream Bloody Gore. For our final listening before... You know. Let's step back into time and explore what this earliest garage band incarnation of Death, aka Mantis, actually sounded like. It's worth considering that these were just teenagers trying to work things out, and the execution, no pun intended, was far from flawless. But that's part of the fun. This is a historic audio document. As Mantis grew into death and death continued to grow and develop, they would eventually become arguably the greatest death metal band of all time. But this here is where it all began. I should note more clearly that this is Cam Lee and not Chuck Schuldiner on vocals, and that Lee's dirty death metal vocal approach, which was particularly inspired by the aforementioned Tom G. Warrior, is one of the earliest and most influential illustrations of this singing style. To my mind, this is one of the key distinguishing characteristics between Mantis slash death and the other highly influential founders of death metal, California's Possessed whose music, including Jeff Becerra's growled but not quite death metal vocals, has always struck me as being just one step removed from true death metal. Others may feel differently, but to me it all begins with death by metal. So close your eyes and imagine yourself transported back to a dark and stormy night sometime in 1984 where you are able to witness the intersection of extreme heavy metal and horror movies that is the Mantis track. Evil Dead! Well, gosh... Looks like the end is pretty goddamn nigh. Uh, it's, it's been real. If by some chance anyone does survive this hellish apocalypse and, and you hear this, maybe you could join John and I for, 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 for further upcoming episodes of Heavy Metal 101. Uh, th- those, those, those are available beginning on the third Monday of each successive month, right? Um, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes, assuming all of human society isn't burned down to the ground. And, and do feel free to reach out to us, or at least our decaying corpses, on social media or at heavymetal101podcast at gmail.com. John, any last words of wisdom before we die a truly terrible, agonizing death at the hands of unimaginable monstrosities? Neither Eric nor John's bodies were ever found. There are those who say that even now they wander the earth confused, bloodied, and arguing endlessly about heavy metal. metal.